As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam. He is Paul. We are coming to you on the back of one of the most crazy weeks that I can remember in the world of soccer in quite some time. We don't have a nostalgic 90s snack for you, but I do have a nostalgic 2000 soccer tournament. Not the Super League, Paul. Superliga. You remember that thing? Of course I do. I grew up a DC United fan. Of course I know the Superliga. Yeah, but this this wasn't like your your childhood, old man. Yeah, but still, DC United was a regular of the Superliga. Did you ever cover Superliga? For those who don't know, Superliga was the original League's Cup between MLS and League MX. Um, it, it was just like a, what, two-week tournament, essentially, at one site most of the time, or two sites in yeah. North America. It changed around a little Actually, bit. Actually, the Superliga was like definitely af- way after my like fandom years. I was yeah, I, no, I was a professional I, journalist I covered, for all I covered years. the Superliga. Yeah. So, like, you know, anyway, it was a weird little tournament. There was an a mil- there was a million dollar cash prize for the winner that they would carry around in a suitcase at some of these tournaments. So, it, the stakes were kind of cool. DC United wasn't even in the Superliga. They never played in the Superliga. You're just what, making what stuff was I, up. I was thinking of the Intercontinental Championship. That's what I was thinking. How of. dare you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Superliga, uh, the original League's Cup, the original Super League. And that, of course, is the big news that I was referring to off the top of the show. It looked like European soccer was going to change fundamentally forever uh, on Sunday night. And by Tuesday... It had all blown up, and we're back to somewhat of the status quo, although the Champions League did change, and sort of everyone forgot about that a little bit. So that model's going to be a little bit different. Paul, this was a whirlwind. We've talked about it a little bit offline. I, I just want to like pull back a little here, and we're going we're gonna to talk about MLS and Liga MX and North American soccer and kind of how all of this stuff sort of ties in a little bit and what it might mean and what it could have meant. But I want to pull back and just ask you how did you process this because this was a ride man yeah i mean it was like one of the most fun eras for me of twitter like usually twitter's not fun there's a lot of doom scrolling and if you work in american soccer there's a lot of just like 
negativity in general. This was actually a lot of fun to watch go down because it everyone it felt like everyone was fighting against like the same enemy. Like yeah. corporate greed ruining an institution. Like you're not gonna be on the wrong side of that one, and like very few people were. Well, and twelve people were. Yeah. I mean, and so it was it was really interesting. I thought from from multiple angles for me, you know, one to kind of watch the coverage unfold from the inside, from our side of things, and thinking of it as like a journalist and watching the UK team of the athletic attack the story from every different angle, I thought was super fascinating. Yeah. But just to watch kind of the way the dominoes fell of you know how the fans reacted, how the players reacted, then kind of the government reaction to that fan reaction where they recognized that they could get some real positive popularity points by backing the fans. And then, you know, the UEFA reactions. It was just a really fascinating kind of real life. I don't even know. Yeah. Drama. It was crazy. It was, it was really, really, it was really, I think Sam, like, I think it's, it's probably one of like the most like, defining like soccer events that i've been alive for right yeah Yeah. sam i know you i enjoyed it sam you were like bathing in it i was like mainlining this stuff i was going nuts like and and for some reason i was a little slow to it i think because like during the weekends i try and log off twitter a little bit and so i didn't really see it sunday uh, until late, late. And then I was like, ah, this isn't, it's just like the same thing they do every two, three years, whatever. I didn't really take it seriously. I was watching MLS and, and I wake up Monday morning and I'm like, oh, okay, this is different than what I thought it was. And I start sort of ingesting all of the content. And like, I just, I put this on, on Twitter the other day, but it's the old Darren Ravel tweet from the, the 2016 election night where, you know, he says, I, I'm worried for our country, but this is tremendous content. And like, that was a little bit too glib. I was like, I'm worried for our sport, but this is tremendous content. That's how I felt. I didn't feel like I crossed a line there because it was kind of falling apart when I said that. But hey, you know, if you want to hate me, go ahead. But yeah, I was like mainlining this thing. It was crazy. It was just, everything was a mile a minute. I was on the phone. It was Tuesday that it all fell apart. And I was on the phone Tuesday with people that work in European soccer, buddies of mine, people in MLS, just friends of mine from from growing up that we used to get up at 6 a.m. and watch Premier League games at, in someone's basement who are still fans of like Liverpool or Man U or whatever and just talking to them. And, um, you know, I was on the phone actually with an MLS GM in the afternoon on Tuesday and like we were like screaming at each other almost about this thing because this guy had some terrible takes and I can't really even remember them because they're, uh, I don't, they were bad. Just know that they were bad. And so we were, we were going back and forth and I'm like, how can you think that this isn't the worst thing in the world? And by the time I hang up my phone, I'm like, Oh man, city's out. And then it's like, Oh, Chelsea's out. I'm like, okay, this thing's done. This ain't happening. And then Woodward is out. He's resigning and Agnelli. And I mean, the the funny, the thing that was like, to me, I don't know. I, I kind of have this weird, maybe it's not weird, but a sense of humor where I kind of like think this stuff's funny. And to see Seferin, the head of UEFA, whose name I probably just butchered, the godfather of Agnelli, the head of Juventus's daughter, 
to see him go on Monday and call this man a snake in like stare directly into the camera and call this man a snake. It was like, it was a soap opera. It was like game of Thrones. Like it was wild. Um, I'm glad that the super league didn't come to pass. And that makes all of this a lot more funny than sad and doom and gloom. Cause I think it would have been a real shame. Uh, but you know, and, and now we can kind of sit back and laugh about it. And I, I just got to say, I cannot wait for the 30 for 30. I cannot wait for the books. Like, give that to me now. I want it now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of the whole story. But we also, you know, we've been talking to people about it, Paul, around American soccer. And it's worth kind of diving into that a little bit as well, I think. I also want to say, and I, I know I keep going back to this, and it's way too, like... I don't know, media centric. I, I know, considering how are you gonna you gonna go you gonna go journalism school on us here. I just think I Paul just went feel, to Medill, folks. No, I just so, so did you. I just feel <laughs> so like I I really enjoyed the content that came out of this. You know, like like to your point, like tremendous content, like the the TikTok stories that came out of this. Shout out to our team in the UK. You know, Dominic Fifield. Fifield, Sam Lee, Matt Slater, Lori Whitwell, Liam Toomey, Jack Pittbrook, James Pierce, who wrote kind of our TikTok, um, Tariq Panja and Panja and um, Rory, Rory Smith, Smith, who are just tremendous at what they do for the New York Man, Times. Every time I read their stuff, I'm like really excited to read it. And by the end of it, I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And then I get really mad because I'm like, I'll never do anything like that. I got no chance. What's even the point of doing any of this? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I think both of those guys, you know, it's kind of aspirational to read what they do from the global perspective, and it's incredibly difficult. And I think I, I just I really enjoyed kind of the the different the so many different angles to approach this story, so many different sources that were talking, and so much great detail of how this unfolded that happened so quickly. Yeah. For, for people, because so many people were willing to talk because it was such a disaster. So if you haven't read these pieces, I really recommend going to read them. Um, at the athletic, our headline is, um, the day the Super League collapsed. How can we ever work with these people again? <laughs> it was, you know, which was the day after it was born. <laughs> right. Exactly. So just, you know, just go take, take the time to read that piece. Take the time to read the New York Times piece for sure. Um, that has some of the detail that Sam was just talking about, you know, like the kind of give and take between the UEFA president and the president of Juventus and the relationship between their families and the fact I that mean, they can were you, Paul, can talking you just on imagine the phone. Some of these guys, Agnelli, Woodward, they spent years on this and they spent years lying straight to the faces of their colleagues, of their competitors. And in some of these cases, they're very close personal friends. It's insane. And then it all blew up on them in a matter of hours because the rollout of this thing was a joke. Complete yeah, really joke. Bad. How do you do this with it and do it so poorly? That's crazy to me. I mean, you knew it wasn't going to be good when you saw the logo, right? Like, that was like the first sign that this was not going to happen. I mean, I don't know. Bad logos, you can you can overcome. No, you bad can't logos. spend years working on a project and you put out a, a release and your logo looks like that. That means you did not plan it out well enough. That's what that means. I mean, they literally had like no PR strategy. The, like, their nothing. PR strategy was like Florentino Perez go on some weird Spanish late night talk show and like pretend that I don't know, behave like your soccer Trump, basically. Let, let, let's like, not let's not badmouth late night soccer talk shows. That's essentially allocation disorder. 
I mean, I don't think it was a soccer talk show. I think it was just a regular late night show. Doesn't no? matter. Doesn't matter. I'm not bad mouthing the show, but that's your PR strategy. <laughs> no one else was willing to answer questions. Florentino was the only one. But he, why on that? Still like, the only one. It's kind of a still, tradition in Spain to do like the midnight, that, late night talk what, shows. What was it called? El, El Chiringuito. Yeah. Was that the name of the show? Yeah. <laughs> Great name for a show. Great name. Way. Great name. Very jealous of that name. This episode of Allocation Disorder is brought to you by El Chiringuito. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe I forgot that off the top. So, Sam, what, you know, in in all the conversations you've had, you've written some columns about it. Um, I'd encourage people to go check out the columns Sam wrote regarding kind of the similarities and the goals of the Super League and of Major League Soccer, which is to be soccer's NFL. You know, in all these conversations that you had, what's your takeaway on kind of the American perspective on this. Is there a, you know, lesson to be learned here? Is there a, an impact on soccer on this side of the ocean, you think, out of, out of what happened in the last 48 hours or so? Um, I think there are a million things to take away from it, right? So I'll start with what I wrote about, which is maybe the, the, the least fantastical, most boring version of this entire discussion. But we'll start there. And so I spoke with two guys who run MLS teams, Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia and Axel Schuster in Vancouver, and they both come from Europe. They're both German. Uh, they've both worked for Champions League clubs in the past, Schuster with Schalke, uh, Tanner with Red Bull Salzburg. I don't know if Hoff, I don't think Hoffenheim was making Champions League when when he was there, but anyway, he was at Hoffenheim as well. And so I'm like, hey, well, what do you think about this? And they are like, it's a joke, right? And this is the worst, and for all of the normal reasons that I think it's the worst, and Paul, I think you think it's the worst, and that most people listening think it's the worst. But it's kind of funny to hear that coming out of the mouth of somebody who runs an MLS team, right? Because you're complaining about this this new Super League that's going to be closed off, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's more closed off, but it's not as closed off as MLS, right? You were going to have 15 permanent spots in the Super League and five to-be-determined qualifying slots that would be open to, theoretically, most teams in Europe. And MLS, there's no way to get in on sporting merit, right? It's a completely closed system, just like every other major North American's pro sports league. And so I asked both of them to sort of square that with their comments. And they're like, well, it's the culture, it's the history. And and fair enough, the the culture and the history are way different. And I think it's important to note in any of these discussions that if MLS was founded with promotion and relegation and an open pyramid and all of that stuff, it never would have gotten off the ground. Right, yeah, Paul. I mean, in, like, in fact, in fact, like, there's a document going around. I think it came out, you know, in this lawsuit, the relevant lawsuit of like a league that had been designed with three tiers, regional leagues in the third division, you know, a, a first division, pro division, a second pro division, and, and a real, a real pyramid. And and you know that this was approved by the USSF, and like that was the original idea behind launching professional soccer in the United States. Here's the problem. No one signed up for it. No yeah. one signed up when for it. When we say no one, no one signed up to fund it. No one like, signed up to fund it. No one signed up to buy teams in it. No one was interested in taking part in professional soccer that looked like that. And, and, and that is the big difference we have to remember of any comparison of major league soccer is that, you know, we're talking about a hundred years of an institution 
in Europe. Right. Or I more. Mean, right? Like that's a tradition. It's a culture. In the United States, there was a culture of leagues coming and going, coming and going, being founded and disappearing for, for numerous different reasons. And so in order to create something that was permanent, they had to find a way that they could entice people to invest. And, and ultimately, after that pyramid design failed to entice anyone, anyone to invest, they came up, Alan Rothenberg came up with a single entity idea that then became Major League Soccer. And that's what we have today. And I also want to point out, Sam, before you keep going, yeah, for all we criticize it for, we do have to acknowledge that, you know, after what had been kind of a wild, wild west existence of American soccer for so long in the kind of modern era preceding this one, you know, Major League Soccer has achieved permanence in a way that no other league has before. Yeah. And you look at the facilities and everything else. And no, it, ain't, it ain't going anywhere. That's and USL during this era has been formed and, and has has really, you know, created its own footprint in this country. So the design, the model worked for the American investor. And, you know, tra- changing that I think is is similar to trying to change the traditions in Europe. Like I think the columns that were written trying to compare trying to compare college football to the Super League or the NFL to the Super League, they don't work because they already are the Super League, right? The Super League was mimicking the American culture of sport. Sure. You know, to to create something that would have incited the same type of uproar on this side of the ocean, you would have to say, hey, um, power five schools, here's how we're going to do it. The teams that finish with the five worst records in their power five conferences are going to go down to the group of five. And the teams that finish with the five best records in the group of five are going to go up to the power five. I think people would love that, though. I don't think the institutions would. I don't think the well, fans no, of the SEC would. That's why it doesn't happen. The, it, I don't think people would love it. Like but it. even, you know, having covered UCF, you talk about UCF wanting to get a chance in the college football playoff. <laughs> I want we, you to mention UCF football in every episode. I'm of just the saying, show. like, look, look, look at the reaction of fans of Auburn and Georgia and Alabama when UCF fans were saying, we deserve a shot at a national championship. Yeah. And they were like, absolutely not. You do not deserve a shot. And then they were like, oh, you know, if you guys go undefeated again next year, you deserve a shot. And then UCF went undefeated again the next year and they did not get a shot. And those fans weren't clamoring for UCF to get a shot. So I mean, no, like no a lot one would of like the, it. A lot of the country was though, man. Not it's really, just the, man. It's just the other teams that are in contention for the for the championship spot that don't want it. I just think that those that's that's being nice to what Auburn was. Auburn lost to UCF that year. They weren't. I mean, they were a one loss team, so I guess they technically were in contention. But <laughs> but the idea the the idea of people embracing a change to an institution, I think is. It's hard to fathom, right? It doesn't people would, happen. People like would that. welcome fans would welcome pro rel and American soccer. Many would. I mean, I don't know. I I'm with you on most of the things you said. I'm not really with you on that last part. Regardless, um, the history, the culture, sort of dictate these things. And you hear MLS execs talk about it all the time, man. Right? They they're like, oh, we go we go talk to these guys that are running European clubs these owners of European clubs, and they always say, oh, we love your model. If we were starting today, we would do it like you. We would never do pro rel. And they wouldn't, right? Because you're risking losing a ton of money. 
And that's why it doesn't exist. I, 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 real quickly, sorry to interject again, but I do <laughs> agree with you that, yes, of course people would be fine with pro-rel in American soccer because it's not an institution. It's been around for 25 years. It's not the same thing. That's the sure. whole point. Sorry. Right. Fair, fair enough. College football keeps changing all the time, too, but whatever. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole any further. So it's just kind of interesting, right? Because MLS has this has this closed model. The Super League was a shift towards a more closed model um, in an attempt to really just kind of hoover up more of the dollars, essentially, to create more revenue and to keep more of it and to be guaranteed it in perpetuity, regardless of results. And like that's kind of what the NFL is. That's what the American and Canadian sports model is, right? And I get why the owners would want to do that. I cannot believe they actually tried it in this way. It shows a complete lack of understanding of where they're coming from in terms of the teams and and the leagues and the history. Um, But they went for it. It failed spectacularly. But there are some benefits of the way MLS runs. You mentioned the permanence, right? The stability. You know, you you hear Madrid and Barcelona in particular, kind of talking about, oh, we need a more sustainable model. And it's like, well, yeah, you do. You could make it more sustainable if you just didn't spend your way into oblivion, right? But the MLS model doesn't allow you to spend your way into oblivion. Like, literally, it puts rules on against it. And you and I rail against those rules all the time. And I'm still going to. I'm not going to change that. Because all of this is just about finding the right spot on the spectrum, right? And Europe is not on the right spot on the spectrum, in my opinion right? You have teams like Barcelona that are $1.3 billion in debt, right? That's not a sustainable thing. Like you can't keep doing that forever, right? Something is going to have to change there. You have leagues like Germany where Bayern wins every single year. Italy, Juve probably is not going to win this year, but they won nine previous. PSG, I think they've won eight of nine titles. And the one year they lost, they lost to Monaco. Well, what did they do? They went out and bought Monaco's best player, Kylian Mbappe, right? Spain, it's it's a two-club league for the most part with Atletico sneaking in here or there, and maybe they'll do it again this year. But that's not really that exciting. England, it rotates a little bit more, right? So the Premier League, I think, has enough ambitious clubs where they have six that really go for it, and sometimes Leicester sneaks in and win. And, and, and so like you can, you can have the champions there rotate, and it's a little bit more interesting. But the financial instability of a lot of these European clubs and the general lack of competitive balance on a lot of the domestic leagues, I think is no good, right? And MLS has financial stability, even if even if these teams aren't profiting. Um, and it has competitive balance, right? Now, I would like to see, and I wrote this in the column, I would love to see MLS open it up more, right? Shift more towards Europe with less restrictions. And you can you can do that, right? in a way that doesn't lose competitive balance or financial stability, right? You can you can ease off the brake a little bit and you can still keep things that are good and you can open things up more. And Europe, I think vice versa, you know? Some of the controls, FFP could get a little bit stronger, right? And, and clubs could kind of be more reasonable with their spending and revenue sharing could maybe be more equitable. I, I don't know. Um, there are ways to make it, make the competitive balance more interesting and make it so clubs aren't, going into a bankruptcy and administration um, as well. So, Yeah, I mean, there are examples for MLS to follow within the American sports spectrum, right, of how to enhance their spending and still maintain controls. It's called salary caps and it's called luxury taxes. And those things have worked and do work in the leagues that are played side by side with Major League Soccer in the United States and Canada. So 
there is no excuse for Major League Soccer to spend as little as they're spending, other than the fact that the ownership not even not even as little, man. And Axel Schuster mentioned this to me explicitly, and I put it in the story. It's just how they're allowed to spend, right? He's like, you know, just like maybe we take away the designated player rule, and sort of hinting at like just give us a set amount of money, and we can spend to it any way we want, and then you can still have a team. And he said you can still have a team that goes out and signs Carlos Vela, and you can have another team that takes that same amount of money. And spreads it across four or five different guys, like yeah. But the, that still comes down to the amount of money, right? Like if your salary cap, if you do that, and your salary cap is twenty million dollars, you know you're you're still falling short of your sure. rivals in Mexico. If you do that, and your cap is thirty million dollars, and you do something similar to, I, I believe it's the NFL that has a minimum of eighty percent of the salary cap spent for teams to try to keep yeah. competition as close as possible, then you have a very competitive league that's competitive with. Mexico certainly and with some of the leagues in Europe or many of the other teams in Europe so you know that that matters I think also on the flip side when you look at Europe FFP definitely needs more teeth we learned that financial fair play yeah we we learned that with um with Manchester City and and its sanctions it's it's difficult right because when you start talking about the restrictions that you're going to put in in European football and in global football it requires the participation of multiple governments on yeah. antitrust laws that exist and are different in all these different countries. Getting a country like China to agree to the same types of rules that exist in England, you well, know, th- mean, all of those things matter, right? They do it, matter. It matters when it matters when you're talking about like a global competition. But if the Premier League wanted to do it, that's just one country, right? They they can you know it's it's messy. I'm not saying it's not, but it's no it's not any different than doing I, it here necessarily. I don't think any country is going to do it until they feel like it's going to be when it comes to something like FIFA financial fair play, that right. that is going to be enforceable in more than just a couple countries, right? That that's the challenge that sure. FIFA faces because you don't want to be lagging behind everybody else. You got yeah, right. With the Joneses, which is a big reason why these clubs are in the situation they're in right now, right? Um, which is which, by the way. It's good, right? Competition is good. That's the whole damn point, right? Like Pep Guardiola had the the quote kind of, and I use this in the story as well, but like sport where you where it doesn't matter when you lose, that's not sport, right? That's just that's just like content essentially. And in many ways that's what we have here in the US. Um, you know, thankfully in a lot of these leagues, like these teams are ambitious enough where it sort of mitigates it, right? But like, you know, I heard somebody defending the closed model as like a way using tanking as an example and like holding up the Houston Astros. And I got so mad because I was like, all right, yeah, the Astros intentionally sucked for years so they could stockpile draft picks and those draft picks hit and they eventually turned into a garbage can banging, cheating World Series champion, right? So it worked. But so many teams try to tank, and it doesn't really work for many of them, you know? Like, the the ones that turn into a champion, it's rare. That's the exception. And even the ones where you do turn into a champion, how many years? How many years do you put your fan base through crap, right? But again, there are ways to protect against tanking, right? The NFL does a very good job of Of doing that. You know, you can do it without being... The same as MLS and but like exactly and 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 
I don't know. There is a sweet spot. The, the other part of this that's weird to me, and I'm, I'm sorry, I cut you off. But the other part of this that's weird to me is like, here I am advocating for salary caps when it's like, well, I'm, am I taking money out of players' pockets there? Because that's like not really something I want to do either. So I don't know. I don't know what I what I want here. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a big part of the problem we have to recognize is that, you know, the a lot of this money, you know, when you talk about Barcelona's debt, I was talking to somebody today who was saying, like, I- I've yet to see a model that works financially when you spend 150% of revenue on players. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing that the that the, the books don't work at that point, right? Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> so, so, you know, when that much money is going into player salaries that you end up with Barcelona, right? You can make all this money. But when you're so far exceeding your revenue and even your projected revenue on contracts that are as big as they are, you know, for players like Messi and before him, Neymar, and, you know, you, you look at Coutinho, um, Dembele, right. You go <laughs> Guys down that the haven't list, even performed necessarily for that, that it's unsustainable. So does, does spending need to be pared back in the player side of things? Yes. Does it need to be? Are there ways beyond salary to do that? Of course, agent transfer fees. fees are out of control. Agent fees are out of control. All those things can be brought back. I think caps on agent fees is yeah. like a really easy place to go. Tan- first. Tanner was going nuts about agent fees when I talked to him about it. Yeah, and but, I mean it's difficult, right? Like you can't. I mean, at least in this country, you can't conspire to. I don't think to cap agent fees, right? To to cap the the money of somebody who doesn't work for you. Like I, I think that's like a MLS has some system with agent fees that I need to I meant to look up the other day. I don't know. Every team's different. I mean I know some teams that refuse to pay any agent fees yeah. or, or claim to and and some teams that just pay them. You know, it's I, I think, you know, there is a reasonable place to land. Like though like to me it's like it, you'll hear agents complaining, but like there is a reasonable place yeah. To land with something like agent fees, you know, yeah. um, and and by not capping agent fees, you're driving up the prices on these transfers. You're driving up the frequency of some of these big money transfers yeah. because these these agents are getting paid for the transfers. So there are a lot of different solutions. I, I think it's it's just fascinating because it, it really what it does is it shines a light on all these different areas where things can get reformed and can get better in European mm-hmm. football. Certainly in Major League Soccer. I mean, this whole podcast is dedicated to the places and the ways that, you know, Major League Soccer can get better at a lot of different things. And I, I think yeah. we, we stay on that, you know, stay on that level. Yeah. And, and I'll say this and then we'll break. But the, the the key to me here, if you're designing any league in Europe, here, anywhere in the world, it, it's about finding that sweet spot on the spectrum between stability and competitive balance on the one side and like free reign and ambition on the other. And to me, I feel like the NFL is probably the best in the world. They've found the sweet spot on that. I think MLS is way too far to the stability and competitive balance side. And I think Europe is probably too far to the free reign and ambition side. Um, but you can you can find a sweet spot on that spectrum. Um, and the other thing with this is, if there's one thing the Super League taught me, it's that anything is possible. And we'll talk more about that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And we are back. Allocation disorder. Anything is possible. To quote the legend, Kevin Garnett. Anything is possible. I have a theory about that. I have a theory about that moment, that Kevin Garnett moment. Yeah. Kevin Garnett, as you know, is sponsored by what apparel company or was? Uh, Adidas. Adidas. Yeah. And at the time, Adidas. Impossible is nothing. Yeah. They had the Impossible is nothing campaign. I'm pretty sure. He that meant they to say had that. paid him to, if he won, scream impossible is nothing for like their ad campaign. And that he just in the beauty of the moment of, you know, whatever, didn't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, he got caught up a little. And he screamed anything as possible instead. Great yeah. moment. Not for Adidas, though. I- I'm pretty sure Adidas still used that. In marketing material, they used it, but he didn't do. He didn't deliver the line. I, that's my theory of what of what he was. Uh, what yeah, the plan I totally. I think I thought that at the time, um, and then I believe it got into a, the "I'm on a boat" video, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you think Joe knows I'm on a boat? Well, pulling back the curtain a little bit here, Joe Lowry edits our show. Um, hi, Joe. And every week, Joe is four years old. So every week, Paul and I, when we send him the audio of our show, we send him a different viral video from like the mid 2000s or like late aughts or something like that. Um, so I don't know, man. I'm on a boat that was like 08, 09. He might not know that. He didn't know Lazy Sunday. Yeah, he's he's a baby. And, you, and you're Maya corrupting he. him. You're corrupting him is what's happening. These, we, these are not this show corrupting. is corrupting these him. These are the innocent. Videos. We've sent him some inappropriate videos. Not like that kind of inappropriate, wow. but certainly ones that can <laughs> Speak for yourself. Young Joe. I am wholesome. <laughs> Thank you're, you. You're anything but that. Wow. Even the listeners of this show know that. All right. Well, anything is possible. Um, <laughs> speaking of, anything is possible with this, right? If COVID and all of the changes that came to the soccer calendar because of the pandemic... And the Super League has taught us anything. It's that anything is possible. Even the most far-fetched sounding idea is possible. Which brings me to MLS and Liga MX. Actually, no. Let me wind it back. Sorry. Change up. Let me wind it back. If this Super League had gone forward, Paul, I want to spend some time on this, on this hypothetical. If this Super League had gone forward, they would have been playing games here in the U.S. What? Over under 18 months? Two years? Under. Under, for sure. And, and... I would say over two years on this, there would have been an expansion team. Yeah, I love it. In New York and Miami. Two expansion teams. 
Wow. One in New York, one in Miami that would have been competing in the Super League. Steven Ross definitely would have owned one one of those. For um sure. maybe probably Miami since he owns the, the other Dolphins. one probably would have been like Joey Saputo, you know, like or something Ro- like that. Rocco Comiso? Rocco yeah, exactly. New York Cosmos? Exactly. In the Super oh, League. Oh, there's definitely the chance for the Cosmos to make a comeback, for sure. I mean, like uh, honestly, in some ways that would have been brutal for MLS had that happened. Brutal. Sam, how quickly would you transition from the Athletics National Soccer Reporter covering mostly MLS to the to the Athletics New York Cosmos Super League beat reporter? Wow, man. I mean, as you know, I'm a huge Cosmos supporter. Huge, huge. Those are my team. That's my team. Um, no, but this, like, on a serious note, like, that could have been brutal for MLS. And it could have been incredible for American soccer. Incredible. And part of me is a little sad that it didn't happen because if that if that threat emerged, MLS would have had to step up its game like that. Drastically. Drastically. Like it could have accelerated things so much and it would have been fascinating to see how it played out. Because all of a sudden, why would any of these European stars ever go to an MLS team? Right? If they can p- still play in the Super League, still get the American lifestyle, still get the big money. Oh, are you kidding me? It would have been a totally different demographic of star, man. We are talking about no. You'd be getting Mbappe them in their prime, playing in, in their New prime. York. You know what I in mean? In their prime. That's what yeah. it would have been. That's what it like, would have been. It would have been insane. It would have been totally incredible. Um, it would have been a huge threat to MLS, but a huge opportunity for MLS and for American soccer as well. And so, part of me is a little bit sad that it didn't happen <laughs> because that would have been cool for us, right? And for fans here in the States. Um, but we absolutely would have seen very quickly Manchester United playing at Raymond James and, you know, uh, Arsenal playing at whatever the Rams stadium is called, SoFi Stadium and Liverpool, you know, they would have been reconfiguring Fenway to, f- to fit a regulation size field in there. And, uh, you know, Man City, I guess that they would have kicked NYCFC out of Yankee Stadium and just made it their home. Um, but it would have been, ugh, man. Like, the possibilities for that, like, I wonder if MLS feels like they dodged a bullet in that regard. Definitely. I think there certainly has to be a belief that some encouragement that the infrastructure of global of the global sport will prevent the big threats to American soccer and Major right. League Soccer from happening. Look at the right? relevant. Because the relevant case has always kind of lingered and still can, lingering. Can and you explain over. that? Because in the relevant case, essentially... Relevant is is the company that um, that stages the ICC Summer Friendlies, the um, International Champions Cup, right? Where you see, you know, Manchester United play Barcelona in preseason, and people spend three hundred dollars on tickets to see the B team play, right? In these non competitive matches, and and I uh, the ICC started with great as a great business model. It was making great money because people wanted to see the teams that they follow. On television on Saturday mornings, they wanted to see them play. And fans were flocking to the stadiums, paying these outrageous prices for these seats. Well, eventually, they, you know, soccer fans are intelligent. They started to see that the product was not worth the price and people stopped going to the games. The tenants dropped and, you know, the interest dropped. And I think they were relevant was looking down the line and saying, look, the trends are going to keep going this way. You know, they're going to keep going downhill. They're not going to, they're not going to rebound. We need to find a way to generate more interest. And the best way to do that is to stage real games that matter, league games in the United States. And they attempted to do that and U.S. soccer blocked it. With and La Liga. Who was with, it? Barcelona Hetafe? 
Yeah, they wanted to stage a La Liga game. It got blocked. Then they tried to stage, uh, I believe it was like an Ecuadorian, Ecuadorian. league game, Ecuadorian. and that got blocked. It was both, they were, both of those were going to be in Miami, right? Yeah. Which is Stephen Ross is the the financier behind this all. He's the owner of the Dolphins, and he was trying to kind of open this door. Um, U.S. Soccer blocked it. FIFA blocked it. UEFA blocked it. Uh, the Spanish Federation blocked it. Spanish Players uh, Association blocked it. No one. La Liga, wants... La Liga was all about it, though. Yeah, La Liga was all about it, and 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 you know, essentially, there is still a court case ongoing that basically U.S. law should supersede FIFA law. That that FIFA's rules cannot um, violate antitrust law, and that right now that's what U.S. soccer and FIFA is doing by by preventing. Uh, open competition in the U.S. market for the top levels of the game. And so that's hovering over Major League Soccer because the last thing they want is to have to fight for butts in the seat, right? They're already right. fighting and failing at least to to win over more eyeballs compared to the Premier League, right, and League MX. Now imagine if suddenly – and hey, imagine League MX was, was staging – regular season games now. oh they they'd be up here quick man they'd be up here very quickly and and by the way they're smart right they've you know they're they're they have these partnerships with soccer united marketing and mls these these tournaments that they stage with um with mls have often led to two league mx teams playing each other in a final in las vegas in the league yep. uh leagues cup last year um, two years ago or yep. two years ago this is the way that they're able to have these games and, and capitalize on those fans but um, all that being said, that's a direct threat to Major League Soccer. And if that door gets opened, you know, we could see the Premier League do it. They tried before, um, prior to this relevant case. Uh, we they could really? see, yeah, we could see. I, I don't know about that. Um, and that was again, that was pushed back um, and blocked by the uh, the players and the federations and the fans in England who sure. didn't want to lose a home game, essentially. Right. So, you know, this news just kind of piles on top of that relevant thing to say, look, the the game itself, the foundation of this game, the fans, the players, they don't want this to happen. And that's a good thing for Major League Soccer. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And and fan power, by the way, is a good thing for the sport. That was like the coolest thing to see from this whole fiasco was that fan power won the day because fans didn't really want this. Like not what did they call them? Legacy fans? Or like long-term stakeholders or something like that. Something disgusting and gross. Yeah, um, I think stakeholders was definitely used. I Can I just say I really hate the word stakeholders? Like well, it's, it, it's, stakeholders is proper when you're discussing actual stakeholders. I, I don't like it in any context. I just don't like it. It's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> okay. I don't like that word. It's like how some people don't like the word moist. You know? I don't like the word stakeholder. I forgot what we were talking very about. Very similar. Very similar. Um, no, you're yeah, talking so about the fans. The fans, they showed their power, right? They showed their power in this situation with the Super League. And I think I think if you are Don Garber, you're taking a, a, a big, deep breath and you're saying, okay, we're good. We don't need to worry about competition for butts and seats from European teams, at least yeah. beyond the ICC. And and that's a good thing for Major League Soccer in some ways. And in to your point, Sam, I think it's a bad thing in the in the case of accelerating growth of Major right. League Soccer feeling the pressure to basically to get better faster in order to continue its trajectory. 
they certainly don't feel that way or haven't indicated that they feel that way about their television numbers, right? They feel pretty confident that the the TV numbers, well, while, they, while not they, going up, they a ton, say that they feel confident. Yeah, they say they do. They well, they say they, 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 they have they to say that. that they're going up. And you talk to ownership groups, they feel like it's all positive trends and that oh, the over yeah. the top I stuff. Mean. And like, and and really, honestly, you know, it's clearly not impacting them enough to fundamentally alter the rules or to accelerate the, the rate of growth, right? Yeah, like, it's, we'll, they're we'll not see. just saying I mean, that, it. They're not that, changing that's a, rules. That's a bet that they've made. We'll see what happens, and, and maybe it'll pay off, right? Maybe maybe there's enough players in the game now, and maybe somebody makes a play for the tonnage and the volume. Um, but if you look at the numbers, they're not great. Like, I, you know, I, lo- I looked them up today, and the two games that were on network television this weekend on ABC and Fox – uh, both drew less than 500,000 viewers on those networks. That's not good. You know, that's less, significantly less than what uh, the college gymnastics championship drew this weekend on network television during the daytime. Um, that's kind of the, the, the ballpark that MLS is playing in here. And those aren't great. Maybe they get a big TV deal anyway, right? Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but... I don't think anyone is happy about that at the league. Like they shouldn't be. And it's, it's a shame too, by the way, because this, like we haven't even talked about the first week of games. They were good games, man. I thought the soccer was good. It was much better than I thought it was going to be even accounting for some of the rust that we saw. Yeah. It depends on what games you saw. I mean, like my squad that I, that I picked to finish second in the league, the Red Bulls, in no way <laughs> attempt to play. Jeez. But, oh my God. How have soccer. we made it this far into the show, by the way? My man, Chicharito. <laughs> yeah, how did we make we it this far? We made it 45 minutes into the we show. We should wait till after the break to get into all this stuff. Because we do have to acknowledge both the positives and negatives of our preseason prediction after one week. Our okay. way too soon reactions to our preseason. Well, all right, well, pick. let's do that. But let's let's close the loop on Super League stuff here yeah, yeah, first. Yeah, okay, and that. let's talk a little bit about League MX and MLS. And let's dig more into that. Because... You know, I was talking I was talking to people the other day and I was like, well, what do you think this means? Because like this sort of in my mind, it's just like, OK, it explodes everything. Let's reset and let's evaluate the next steps. And I'm sure people at the league are thinking those same things. Right. And mate, what does this mean for League's Cup? Right. Maybe this is a situation where League's Cup next year, instead of being eight and eight, maybe it's 12 and 12 from MLS and League MX in terms of the number of teams in it. Maybe League's Cup is a thing that gets tacked on to the end of the season or the beginning of the season and is a separate month-long tournament with every team from both leagues involved, right? I don't we know. saw that in the BCG study. That's what BCG recommended yeah. was yeah. to do a, a, think- a winter tournament, which, by the way, also makes sense in solving a big problem for Major League Soccer, which is that their offseason is way too long. Yeah, and, and like it's not dissimilar really from what we saw in the CONCACAF Champions League last year, right? When they did it in Orlando at the end of the season or after the season because of COVID. Um, so I don't know, like you would have to work through some logistics there. Both Liga MX and MLS have playoffs. So if you were to do it at the end of the season, you would have teams entering that tournament after like having a month plus off. Um, the ones that didn't make the playoffs. So that would be interesting. You could do an Apertura Clausura thing. Right, where the first half is all domestic and then the second half is mixed. It's an interleague. Um, there are a million different things you can do, man. But like it's interesting because I'm excited for those possibilities. And it's not the same feeling that I had about Super League. 
And I don't, and I think a lot of American fans would maybe feel the same way. Some wouldn't, some won't, won't like this. I think Mexico, the response will be different because there is more history there, right? And they are more kind of steeped in their ways. And they think that they would be slumming it. Let's be honest. Like they, they're in that, in the minds of the many, many, many fans in Mexico, this league. Shoot, and shoot, man. Liga MX no one in MLS be, can beat Liga MX yeah, they, teams. They shouldn't be playing. They shouldn't be playing down to MLS. It's more valuable to go play in Copa Libertadores and in South America, right? So it, it would be a real problem, I think, for Mexican fans. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect to it, too. Um, I don't know. It's all fascinating to me. And like, we need to write a story and just buckle down and like, figure out, okay, what could this look like? Or just like even fantasize about it, just outline a dream scenario or how we would do it or whatever. Um, but I don't know. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on what oh you God. want it to be? That's the most allocation disorder thing ever is like fantasize about it. Like that is sadly the thing that like we would be like, let's dream up our MLS league. What are you trying to say? Competition. What are you trying to say about that? We us? are huge nerds and that's nothing new on this podcast. <laughs> Everyone knows that already. It's okay. I feel like this is one of the less nerdy things that we talk about on this show. Yeah. It's probably. a lot less nerdy than MLS roster rules. That's for damn sure. How dare you? I won't take that back. How dare you? There's, <laughs> there is, back. there is nothing nerdy about discovery claims. Okay. And with that, We'll go to a break. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back. Final segment of this week's show. Paul, week one of MLS is in the books. It feels like it was a million years ago. It was four or five days ago. Um but you know, Super League happened between. But but we do we should spend some time talking about Week One because I thought it was a pretty good Week One. I enjoyed it. 
I watched a lot of the games. Some things stuck out to me. What stuck out to you? A couple things. Um, first of all, I think Austin plays good soccer. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. I think we talked about it in our preview show that Josh Wolf was, you know, went with a roster build that was similar to Nashville, but with a totally different idea of how to play soccer. Yeah. I was impressed by them in the loss to LAFC. I think that they're going to be pretty competitive if they play that level of soccer throughout the current year, the whole year. Um, of course, that that comes down to depth and injuries and all those things that I talked about yeah, in the figuring it show. out in the final third. That too. stood out. That stood out to me. Um, Sam, I, I'm going to steal something that I think you're going to say. I, I think you know Miami showed more than I expected them to uh, in the first week. I think that was a big, big thing that stood out from the first week. And the other thing was that uh, yeah, my my squad, Red Bull. Um, early on, they are going to just make games ugly Bro, that, as hell. That was a rock fight. Yeah, they're just going to run and run and run and run and run. There's not going to be a ton of beautiful soccer, at least early on. I think that will change over the the course of the season as they get more of these reinforcements in, but not that much. much not that much. I don't think. It, <laughs> I mean, I think they'll be better when they're on the ball than they were in the first week of the season. Sure, but yeah. it, but it, it, the style that they be... play is 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 meant to disrupt, which is why I picked them to play to finish so high because they're going to be really hard to play against they're gonna they were really gonna... they were really hard to play against on yeah. saturday against kansas city they had two mistakes kansas city punished both of them and outside of that skc didn't really have any other looks like that was pretty yeah, much they're it. just going to be very difficult to play against i i'm not backing down from my prediction except for the fact that i think it's going to take a while for them to be like a complete team and that's probably going to hurt their chances to finish second but i think they're going to be really tough to play against there, it might also be tough to watch if you're like a team, if you're like a viewer who likes to watch like possession soccer. Man, I, I don't know when they play D- DC the first time, um, but I'm, I want to go see that match in person because DC played even more like we're not even going to care about having the ball even a little bit. We're just going to press super high and super hard and like see what happens. Um, DC did even more of that than the Red Bulls did, and DC scored two awesome goals in their win uh against nycfc um so that was interesting that was one of the things that stood out to me this weekend was was hernan losada and how hard those guys were working how organized they looked um i was like ah dc has a clear idea of what they want to do it's not the prettiest but they have a real shape they're organized uh and it's working and they're fighting hard so i thought that was good after a long year for united and of course my man Chicha scoring a couple of goals for the LA Galaxy in that 3-2 win against Miami, who did look good. Rodolfo Pizarro, he keeps playing like that. Best 11. He was really good in that game. Yeah, he was really good. Um, Miami ran out of gas big time. Sam, come on. I mean, Chicha was great. Not just the way he played, but his post-game interview. Sam, did you cry? When you watch this post game interview, I was, I was imagining Cosas Chingonas, my friend. <laughs> Chicharito was too. Chicharito almost cried in that interview. That was real, man. I liked it. I was, I was like, also like, this is the longest answer I've ever heard in a post game on field interview. I texted you that after I saw that interview that Chicharito. Yeah, because you didn't see it live, did you? You turned no, off no. the TV. Or something? I watched it on Twitter. Yeah, I turned off the TV as soon as the game ended, and. I, when I saw it on Twitter, I texted you. I texted you the link, and I was like, "Yo, Chicharito's gonna win the Golden Boot." Yeah, 
I think you were and still emotional at that time. It was like an hour then, after the game. You were still feeling it. He's you were on, I, I was like, I was like over, he's going to get 18 plus. And everyone was like, <laughs> you idiot. Well, let me tell you something, Paul. It's only one weekend, but he's on pace for 68. Okay. He's on place to clear 18 by 50. This is a, this is an analytics podcast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we just go by the numbers. Uh, <laughs> I'm not great at math, but I'm good enough to do it like that. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was super encouraging. I, the Galaxy weren't very good in the first half of that game. They got outplayed big time. Uh, it looked a lot like 2020 Galaxy, where it was just like, okay, we're decent in the defensive and middle third on the ball. Um, and then once we get to the final third, it's get it wide and cross it to, to Chicharito, who is by himself in the box. It's just like throw up a prayer. And it, it, worked, it, was, it went predictably. It was poor. And then Greg Vanny shifted to a two-forward setup, brought on Ethan Zubak. He was able to kind of run the channels, serve more as a focal point. Victor Vasquez, you know, a little bit more defined in his role. Uh, and Chicharito was able to do his thing and sort of ghost around in the box and worry less about getting on the ball and worry more about getting on the ball in dangerous spots. Hey, man. Credit to Greg Vanny for the tactical change he made going to the 4-4-2. That's something I don't think we've seen with the Galaxy for a while. Kind of a, a good read on a game and a good read on a tactical change that opened things up. Yeah, like like five years a while, probably. It's been a while. Um, so, yeah, that was that was interesting to see. I was curious to see. Uh, awesome win for Vancouver. Um, probably no one watched that game. <laughs> it was the last one Sunday night. Uh, but similar vibe to what Kansas City and what D.C. did. You know, really organized, uh, strong defensive shape stole one on a set piece uh, and really limited chances uh, for the Timbers. Um, I thought it was curious that the CCL participants struggled hard. Makes sense in hindsight. Uh, Montreal waxed Toronto. I thought that was, I mean, it was kind of a cool story, but I'm not worried about any of those CCL teams considering they're on pretty short rest. A lot of them tried it out similar lineups to what they used midweek uh, to all advance. Did you watch uh, Columbus Philly? I did. What'd you, what'd you think of that one? Um, because like I've had like a couple people I've spoken with been like that was a really high level game, and I was like, man, that one was kind of a snooze. Like I I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was the cleanest. Like yes, it was two teams with clear ideas and clear systems, but like I both thought I thought they were both a little sloppy. Yeah, I agree with you in that. People definitely that we've talked to have said positive things about that game. It doesn't surprise me. Those teams had played a couple games in Champions League. They're going to be a little bit sharper than the rest of the teams. I didn't think they were were that sharp, though. It didn't stand out. The game didn't stand out to me. Um, In fact, I watched, like, I was, I had the game on TV, and I watched it in kind of, like, bits and pieces. Like, I, I, I was, like, losing interest over the course of the game, to be honest. Um, Any other notes from the week? I have one more. Colorado, uh, da- Colorado, Dallas. For oh, me, yeah, that was that, that was a sneaky, entertaining zero zero. At least in the first half, uh, Dallas was playing a like a three four two one, which a few different teams did this week, which is not something we've seen a lot of in MLS before. Uh, and it didn't look good in the first half, like at all. I thought Hollingshead was a little bit lost on the right, and that was leaving a ton of room for Colorado to get into. They couldn't score. But it was a decent game, decent watch. I think both of those teams will be solid this year. And I wouldn't hit the panic button if I'm Minnesota United fans. Like they were, you good, would say that 
they were a good team in the first half. They struggled obviously badly in the second half, and and I thought the score line was not indicative of the game. I but um, you know, and and they still have reinforcements to add in Minnesota. Um, I wouldn't hit the panic button if I was there. I also wouldn't hit the panic button um, if I was uh, Toronto. a Toronto fan. Certainly not. So, um, NYCFC, I'm not hitting that panic button, button either, although a lot of fans are. <laughs> um, I'm kind of on an island a little bit on that one, but that's okay. I'm comfortable. Island vibes, man. That's what I like. Chicago Fire, they've got a lot to figure out, man. If they Talk give to up, me about the fire. If they give up that many goals on set pieces, if they're that bad defensively on set pieces, again, they're not going to make the playoffs. It's that simple. They tell can't me why, set pieces. Tell me why they're not going to be that bad again. They didn't change anything. No, I mean, I, I, they're, you know, they, they, they actually have, I think, better fullbacks than the ones that they played the other night. Bornstein, I, I think Navarro was hurt. He came on late as a sub, as a, as a winger, um, but I don't think he was able to play the full 90 um they have another right back that they signed um you know who i think they should take a long look at because i just don't think Sekulich is going to cut it um but to me man it's the set piece defending that not only did they give up two goals on a, on set pieces one was a throw in um but they gave up that multiple, defending was atrocious multiple looks yeah. Multiple good looks at goal on corner kicks and direct kicks throughout the game. It needs to get fixed. Did Pineda play? Yeah, yeah, he played. Okay, him and him and Kapilov started. Uh, Calvo started the game. Did All Pineda right. play? He's, it was Cap. It was Calvo and Kapilov to start the game. So Pineda did not start. Correct. He did not start. Okay, that's what I meant. Come on, man. You knew what I meant. Why are you doing me like that, bro? I didn't know what you meant. And in fact, I don't even know if he came on as a sub or not, but I believe it was Kapelhoff and Calvo <laughs> at, at the start of the game. Clearly, I very closely watched this game. Um, We're ending this show with a bang. Actually, I will end this show with a fun note. Earlier this week, my mom sent me a text. It was a whole like entry display at a grocery store of Dunkaroos. Shout out to your mom for listening to the show. Dunkaroos, they're back. 